Lou Reed, can you hear me? <laughs> John Kale? Can you hear me, John Kale? Well, you know more than I know. This is Connecting the Classics, a friendly, competitive radio hour featuring myself, Lou Reed, music writer, music enthusiast, musician, and John Kale, (laughs) music enthusiast, music league enthusiast, music curator, and... John knows more than I know. I know more than John knows. And we both know we could one thing we could both agree on. So we know more than Music League knows. And JJ Kale. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, every week we each pick an album and connect from the other person's album or from our album back to the other person's album using tangential references in the style of Kevin Bacon. I just can say we got a fun episode this time. Yeah, we had a fan submission. Thank you to Travis, who emailed us at connectingtheclassics at gmail.com with a theme suggestion. So we will Venmo him $1. And if you want to email us, we might Venmo you a dollar if you pick a theme that we end up using. The theme was like albums that were better than most improved. Most improved. I thought of, I thought of it as most improved, almost like a superlative. You might give it a yearbook. I think both of our picks might be a bit in the troll category, but we'll no, get into that is, a little more. Mine is not a troll pick. It's legitimate. And there's a lot of similarities off the bat between our two albums, some of the instant one-to-one connections. Yeah, I thought so too. Uh, so, why don't you say what you Yeah, picked? so I picked, for the most improved category, I picked Fortet Morning Slash Evening. And you fired back with? Uh, Beatles... Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So let's just launch in Fortet, starting it off. It's morning. We're launching in morning side, locking in for 20 minutes. So I guess part of why I felt like a troll pick is that, you know, you only have two options. Well, before we get into that, I just want to say we got another email. This is from a writer called Destiny MasterCard. And she said, Patrick, you're invited to apply for a new cashbacks reward card. <laughs> I guess it is a troll pick in that if we're talking albums, I don't know if this really counts as album. Yeah, I kind of cornered you into one pick and I did text you and say, I'm picking Morningside because, you know, we're going to start it off at the top of the podcast. So I kind of boxed yeah. you into your pick. Sorry about that. No, I knew I was getting there, so I planned on it. I do want the backstory as to why this is most improved. What about this album stuck out to you in Fortet's discography? So I don't know much if Fortet has like a legitimate discography. He's one of those people who I feel like he puts out so much music and it's like not necessarily in the form of albums. But would you disagree with that? Does he have like definitive albums? Um, Yeah, definitely. We got the sample coming in here. It definitely as he got older or, you know, like more contemporary late 2010s he did less albums but no yeah he's got like five or six pretty solid full albums before this right 
Yes, before this. Mm -hmm. So I felt like everyone was really into Fortet around this time or like even the years before it. And to me, I've talked about it before. I don't need to go into it, how his shows would give me panic attacks. <coughs> Whoa, I just had a panic attack on the mic. Woo. <laughs> his shows would give me panic attacks. Just yeah. Just because it was like the bass was too much. Yeah. All my friends are like doing drugs that I'm not doing. And I like like basically punk music and hip hop. And I don't want to listen to this shit because it's like too crazy. Yeah. That's basically my experience with Fortet. Yeah. But I feel like when this album came out, he was most improved in my eyes, which maybe I was the most improved because I started to understand his music more. But I remember when this came out, I listened to the whole thing and like, I love the morning, like the just morning and evening concept. How it gives like very, you know, it almost sets the mood just in the name and the music matches it. And it's like, which comes first, you know? Yeah. So when I was digging into the actual creation of the album, I found some cool stuff we can talk about too. But what was your experience with this album? In terms of first time listening to it or this for the episode? And in context of Fortet's discography. It you know, it didn't jump out to me as much in that it's like a it's a challenging listen because it's twenty minute songs or you know, two twenty minute songs. But Morningside is a definite hit. I mean if you sit down with it and take the time. I love the way it builds and it really like it's almost like a mix in the way that it's long form songs but um, yeah I, I'd encourage you to check out his albums if you do like this I do think there's similar qualities in some of his his uh, releases that you'd like yeah and I have at times tried to listen to them but I don't know for whatever reason this one this is when I feel like Fortet came into form and it's overlooked like you were saying it's definitely a little less intense and kind of like scoots you along like right now this is pretty like pleasant to listen to and to me it's like i would put this on while i came out when i was in college so like i'm pretty sure right when did this come out uh around 2015 there. so you would have been just out of college okay but it put it on when i was like working on something you know and yeah it was like i think it was on Bandcamp, so i could just stream it yep and uh or driving to work and like a long commute it's perfect i think it was yeah i remember it being on Bandcamp too i wonder if you put it on Bandcamp first. Maybe. It's definitely on all streaming services now. But then when I was kind of looking into the creation of the album, I didn't know much about it. So I feel like actually what you said about sitting down and listening to it, I didn't really do that closely until we were preparing for this episode. Uh -huh. It's always sort of been background music, but it doesn't... It's way more pleasant, I guess, than some of his other stuff or like stuff he plays live. Yeah, less um, intense. So the backstory, I guess, was that his um, grandma died in 2013, and he inherited some of her albums. Okay. And yeah, so, he's Indian. He's like half Pakistani, maybe. Yeah, or I don't know his ethnicity, but whatever. He got these albums from his grandma, and so the sample on this is, and I don't claim to pronounce things right, but. Lapta Mangeshkar. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. No, uh, uh So I was kind of reading up on her, and I guess she's like one of the original playback singers of Bollywood. Oh, nice. Which was like, 
they would get singers in the studio to record the songs and then the actors would lip sync and just going through youtube like a lot of her videos and listening to them she's got a lot of cool stuff and like all the comments are full of people who are like oh it's lata it's like she was huge in india and when she died they had like a two-day period of national mourning wow she died, she died. you want to guess how she died uh, 2022 covid yeah pretty fucked up damn and i guess she's been in the guinness book of world records as the most recorded artist in history amazing before being replaced by her sister <laughs> but coming for that record we'll get more into her later but she definitely has like a really unique voice and then another thing that i wasn't really familiar with is the concept of raga I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That sounds right. So you know about that? No, I, I mean, I know the term, but I don't know what it means. I guess it's like the interesting thing about it when I was looking into it is that a lot of sites will say there's no direct translation to English for what it is. Okay. But it's like something that has a distinct melody and keys, but then it allows people to improvise off of them. Okay, I was gonna say that. That makes and sense. And so for morning, evening, Fortet drew from that influence because also like different ragas are associated with different times of day and evening and also like seasons and stuff like that. And some of them have like a spiritual connection. Um, there's something about cyclical beats that's involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, So to go on record, his mom is South African born Indian. Okay. Give me five points for that. Nice Google. Thanks. I mean, I knew he was Indian or Pakistani. Yeah. But so that, I guess that made me like appreciate the album even more is because when you see Morning and then you hear this song, you already kind of understand that it's, it, it does the right job of like fitting with the morning. And then the evening part goes into a more like clubbier beat a little bit. So when we were playing this album back, did you true to form, like turn it on in the morning? No, because I think to me, it's more of a mindset type thing, but I definitely have listened to this album a lot in the morning. Yeah, same. And then save evening side for the evening. But I'm basically going on a run here because we're at minute eight. We're not going to listen to the full 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> It'd be the perfect chance to mix in a new song. Yeah, that was basically the end of song one, so we can fade it out. I was going to talk more about... Uh... Lata Mangeshkar. But we'll get into it later. But I definitely think, just real quick before we move on, there is yeah. a direct connection to the Beatles, because obviously the Beatles the brought, brought yeah. Indian music back to the Western world. And I think there's, like, we talk about this all the time of 
sharing culture, cultural appropriation. And I think the Beatles definitely bring a lot of those questions up. Yeah, agreed. So maybe we'll launch over there. Fade this one. Love it. Way to kick it off. Um, so I was fired back with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Also a bit of a troll pick, but you know, also a nod to the fact that the Beatles kind of started out as a um, kind of like a cover party band style you know, group where they weren't really writing their own songs, but they, you know, over almost 10 plus years got better and better at songwriting and started incorporating other elements. Like we're talking about Indian music or psychedelic music. And I think that all kind of culminated in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which I think was one of those pieces of art that um, is just historically significant. So to me, that's like a, a crest or, you know, most improved when you think about their music from 10 years ago. Is it your favorite Beatles album? It's actually not, uh, but I hadn't gone back to it and just like sat down and listened to it, which I always think is a good, um, these episodes are a good chance to just like sit down with an album and not be distracted. Yeah. I pulled Um, it out and played it on vinyl. I will say I listening back, it surprised me how many like, stinkers there were on this album but then it made me realize that like no one cares people just want to celebrate your achievements they don't they'll forget about your misses what do you think are the misses that's a good motto for life um to not sweat so much that like people will just remember what you did well um let me look at the track list real quick i felt like it was it's no misses because almost all of them are absolute pop hits I thought fixing a hole, she's leaving home. All those were kind of just like okay, I don't even remember those. So yeah, I mean, there's bangers. Maybe they fill like it can't be all bangers, so they work in the context of the album. Maybe yeah, one through three is bangers because there's like Lucy in the Sky with diamonds. With a little help from my friends. Yeah, getting better is okay. Totally overplayed, so I hate it now. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, that's also okay, but I don't know. It's not a hit. So um, what's your favorite Beatles album? Um, I don't know. It's it's definitely the later ones. It's the White Album and uh, Abbey Road. and I feel like I when know. I was younger, I would always say, oh, my favorite Beatles al- album is Revolver. But I yeah. don't really know. I think I probably heard someone else say that and it sounded cool. <laughs> but then like- I listened to Revolver. I really like Got to Get You Into My Life. Sergeant yeah. Peppers, I kind of want to ask you, but we can launch into music, but I want to kind of ask what it means because I was like listening back to it and I was like, what is this even about? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk a little bit more about it, but yeah, I think it's it's the um, the full package of this album. I mean, you get hints of it in Revolver, but I just felt like their style of pop music writing totally evolved and took like a next level that would go on to inspire, you know, people for decades. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it's a pretty impressive album for that reason, but let's launch into the song. And then I don't really know Sgt. Peppers other than I think the concept behind the album is that it's like this fake band, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band. And I think that's the like impetus of the narrative of the album. Because you also got the cover, you know, with them all dressed up. That's super famous. Yeah. And then all the famous people in the background. But 
I'm not sure. So I went with good morning, good morning. I know that one's uh, perfectly tied to your one to one uh, morning Same pick side. as me. But um, it's also we one of the ones that hasn't been played too much. So that's why we got to plan this because we both picked the exact same song. Launching in. I thought it was just going to be that loop, uh, troll pick. It was just going to be good morning, good morning, <laughs> looped for 20 minutes. Oh, my God, that'd be brutal. Someone should put up Fortet Morning Side Beatles remix. And it's just good morning, <laughs> just good morning, good morning. But anyways, this style of, of sort of pop rock song reminds me of Revolver. Yeah, the sort of sure. moody rock songs. And so, yeah, it's not surprising that this was my favorite on the album on the re- Is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I picked it out not even thinking of the connection. I was like, oh, morning. Wow. I was rocking out to this when I put it on and was cleaning up my house. We got to just start texting each other. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. But fine, we can listen to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds again. Boxed in. So I guess, according to the internet, Sgt. Pepper's was just a, like a framing device to like set uh, artificial space that they could then stage their art. That was some psychedelic uh, shit they were doing back then. And supposedly, a lot of people will credit it with one of the first sort of concept albums where you've got like this loose narrative tied across the album. I think Pet Sounds is the other one that people always say. Uh, but yeah, the other thing that always surprises me is this album is 1967, which is a little earlier than you'd think. Mm-hmm. But if I could quickly go on a run Ooh. here, uh, the reason the other reason I chose Good Morning was because I noticed some similarities to um, another band that I had potentially sent an album to you for that I thought it could be another candidate for Most Improved, uh, which is Pink Floyd. Nice. Um, similar, you know, popular band, but uh, in the way that I think their style originally started out different and they were able to, you know, find a new sound across time. But uh, this is one of their first singles that was popular. Uh, the track is called Arnold Lane. And it has some of that similar psychedelic pop elements that Good Morning has that surprised me. I hadn't really caught that the first time I listened to this album. And, uh, so we're going to go launch it into Pink Floyd, 1967. So it's literally the same year. It's like months apart. This is Arnold Lane. Arnold Lane had a 
So I don't know how familiar you are with the early stuff, but the brains behind this whole sound was Sid Barrett. Right, right. Who, uh, I feel like, you know, a lot of urban legend stuff about him, but basically he, lost his mind. Yeah, he did too many drugs and kind of, I think, had schizophrenia or triggered uh -huh. schizophrenia. And so they ultimately, he ends up leaving the band about a year after this song comes out, and that's when they replaced him with David Gilmore. And, and he didn't that, die until recently, right, though? I think he died or a few, like, right like, 10 years later or something. Okay, never mind. But I think his health deteriorated oh, in a mental right. health facility. But, um, so yeah, they get David Gilmore, and they kind of have to pivot because Sid Barrett was the brains behind these kind of, like, cutesy pop song, psychedelic pop songs. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really fascinating because when you think of Pink Floyd, a lot of times people associate the like spaced out rock stuff. Which you would think that someone who is losing their mind on drugs would have made. Yeah, right. He's almost sound like children's songs. It's, it's very interesting to me. What's this album called? So this actually wasn't released on an album. It was... This is their lead single, but then the success of it prompted them to write Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which is like Pink Floyd's official first album. So you're showing how they improved through the original? Yeah, so this would be... Or do you think this yeah. is better? No, I think this is... I mean, this is good, but I think you don't have the commercially successful Pink Floyd without that sort of pivot, I think. They almost um, just sound like a Beatles cover band. Exactly. They don't sound distinct. Uh, in the same way that you maybe would argue the Beatles didn't sound distinct when they were just singing Twist and Shout right. covers. Uh, and then but, uh, what's the year compared to Sgt. Pepper's? So this is the same know? year. Oh, These are both okay. 1967. So, yeah, I think there's probably some heavy influence from the Beatles to them and their sound. And even other... Pink Floyd on Dark Side of the Moon was probably doing the weird That's... psychedelic effects because of Sgt. Pepper's. Could be, but yeah, you would you. That's like five, six years later, maybe even seven. I guess I just always think of Pink Floyd as kind of pioneers in that lane. Yeah, well, and the other thing I was going to add was that they not only did Sid Barrett leave, but they actually started doing a few soundtrack albums mm. to to films, and I thought that was interesting. I, I wonder wow. if that influenced their weaving instrumental webs, weaving webs to Fortet <laughs> Morningside, yeah, which samples the soundtrack. But um, all right. Just want to take that little detour. We could talk more about the Beatles. Uh, maybe we could do a day in the life. I think that is my favorite, one of my favorite Beatles songs. So maybe it'd be worth doing. At the end, you mean? Yeah, at the end. Uh, I got a different song queued up, but maybe we'll get into okay. it too. All right, all right. Yeah, but you just went on that run, run, run. I was downloading songs. Okay, good. Run, 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 like John Cale and Lou Reed. Um, Velvet Underground reference. The listeners will award me points when they email me at connectedtheclassics at gmail.com. All right, so I have a similar connection here. I'm coming from Fortet Morningside, and 
Obviously, Fortet has had some recent success with Skrillex and Fred again, which we've talked about on the podcast mm-hmm. and almost took his career to another level of like a slow, steady buildup to superstardom. Yeah. yeah. And I may have the unpopular opinion that Skrillex has been the least improved or whatever the opposite of most improved is in that. Yeah most stagnant is well his earliest work is what i like better sonny moore's earliest work i should say than the work of skrillex launching in from first to last the one on armed boxer versus the flying guillotine starts off just like fortet morningside let's hear fortet morningside nice all right now back One of my favorite songs to listen to in the shower back in the day. Kill the lights! Then I turn off the lights, start running the water. (laughs) Wait, can you pause? Did you shower in the dark? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah, I, I have done it though. the first track on the album after the opener it's so is he playing guitar or drums or what he's about to sing This is urgent. When the when does the sun come up? In the morning. Nice. Although it also sets in the evening. So from first to last was like I feel like they were the embodiment of the scene scene. Which I was what, found is, that was what a does funny that mean? Term. So that was always an interesting term because it was growing up, you had like punk kids, you had emo kids, and then you had scene kids. Do you have that in Montana? No, I don't understand the nuance. I don't know if it was a fashion thing. They wear black black or no? Emo only wears black. So in where I grew up, Champaign, Illinois, five points. There was like a town, like a smaller town, kind of 10 miles away or something, where they had like the scene, Muhammad. Uh, That was like the center of the scene scene. And I think a lot of it was, there was like a Christian scene scene, which we've talked about Christian metal before. What do they wear? What's like a clothes of a scenester? I can't even describe it. It's like, uh, you know, it's like eyeliner and it's basically what you think of an emo, but like maybe I'm the more hot topic version, I guess. So the really long bangs. Yeah, exactly. Like Sonny Moore, the singer, had the really long bangs. Yeah. And like you probably painted your fingernails. 
like a little goth, but so not then what as... are the emo kids? Because that's what I think of for emo. It's basically the same, but cooler, I guess, in my mind, or less, more like normal, I guess. Emo kids were probably wearing like girl pants and like a vintage shirt, jockier rather than cooler. So this one was always more in the senior thing, which I just, I feel like that whole rant, I'm just flashing back to when I was in high school and now I'm just describing the different, like, you know, the jocks, the nerds, the scenes, the emo kids, but you know what I mean? But so it was always kind of more in that lane, almost like I'd compare it to dubstep kind of in a weird way. It's like the, it, it was a natural evolution to get from that to dubstep. And I think a lot of the sceny kids evolved into dubstep it's almost more i guess to like people who are into 80s classic rock or something like that where it's like kind of extravagant over the top like hair metal yeah like hair metal exactly this is fascinating i didn't know anything the difference between scene scene kids and emo it might just be all and be in my head but that's at least my recollection from back in the day i'm realizing that scene kids are who i thought were emo kids I think it's the same. I think it's a very subtle distinction that probably only exists in my mind. But you can hear the difference between like we've listened to American football and it's like screamo versus emo kind of, I guess. But I don't know. Like you can hear the difference right between that and something like, I don't know, Fallout Boy. Or is it all the same in your head? No, I definitely hear the difference. Yeah, it's like the subtle distinction between different electronic scenes. Like people in scenes will just keep slicing up the scenes. Yeah. I don't know if scene kid is even the right word, but I might be misremembering it. All of our scene kid listeners, like write in and let us know. Yeah, write in, connecting the classics. And we're launching right in. Let's go on a run, run, run. Uh, So... That from first to last song, uh, I'll tell you. I'll explain the question. For the record, there is a WikiHow article of how to know the difference between emo and scene. What does it say? <laughs> scene culture focuses on fashion and socializing, and generally speaking, its members are more outgoing and friendlier. There is no particular emphasis placed on emotions. Eh, this seems like it's, um, I don't know. Robot. It's, so there is a difference. But we're listening to Lata Manishegar. Might be mispronouncing that. Uh, connection being from first to last song is the one-armed boxer versus the flying guillotine, which is the name of two a collection of films by I think Jimmy Wang Yu is the star. Hong Kong martial arts films from the 70s. Nice. One-Armed Boxer is about a martial artist who loses an arm and must exact revenge on his rival school. And Master of the Flying Guillotine is a sequel. 
Nice. So, connection being film. This is from the movie Didar, which is about a traumatized and young blind man who makes a living singing and searching for his childhood sweetheart. And I guess this is one of the films that kind of had a soundtrack built around ragas. Yeah, her career is crazy, like spanning multiple decades of film, all different types of films. She did some stuff with R.D. Burnham, who I found out about from Mad Villainy, sampled on there. Shadows of Tomorrow could have gone that direction, but I've talked about that album to death. I think she was pretty young when she was singing this, and she has just like a very unique voice. I feel totally. I also think you know singing in Hindi creates this intonation that's really nice and unique. Yeah, and it's always interesting because I feel like so I read this book recently called *The Sense of Wonder* by Matthew Celeses. I think his name's pronounced differently, but I don't think pronouncing's right. And it's essentially about Jeremy Lin but told in the structure of a K-drama, a Korean television drama. And it's like a fictionalized version of Jeremy Lin, who's Korean-American. But anyways, I also read this guy's other book where he talks about, re, you know, Western audiences tend to have certain expectations of how stories should be told. And then when other, you know, like, I feel like that relates to the Beatles because there's a question of them bringing the sitar in to their song like there's a song on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and yeah we don't need to get into it but it's interesting because it's like there is a western it's not a narrative but there's a western structuring of music that is like accepted as how songs should be and then there are other cultures that have different ways of doing that and then the internet has accelerated the fusion of every genre we talk about this every week we don't plan this passing it back i mean i if i knew more i would i would talk about it but i think you know on the topic of indian music that's the perfect i guess counter force to western music because it's has its own culture and conventions that are are distinct you know in terms of micro tones and you know rhythms and stuff that don't align in western classical music and also just the thing like where the sites are saying there's no direct translation of raga to western music and like classical music scholars because it all comes out of like classical music so when like we talk about on our other podcast recorded history music people are just starting to like write down music that's been passed around down from generations from people to people yeah, it's it's intimidating. I mean, there's so much I don't know about Indian culture and music and stuff. Me too. Just so to, take everything with a grain of of. I, I was trying to think of a Indian spice, and I couldn't even think of one. Instead of a grain salt. of uh, <laughs> cumin, a grain of masala. No. Yeah. Um, well, to just give you example, you know, I had said Hindi, which it probably was recorded in Hindi, but Wiki says that. She sung in another Mangeshkar, language. Mangeshkar, yeah, sang in like 36 Indian languages. 
yeah. as well as a few foreign languages. Damn, I'll give you 36 points. But she mainly, mainly sang in Hindi and her mother tongue, Marathi. Yeah, so, so I feel like it's interesting too because some of the articles you read will say some Hindi music is religious in a sense and obviously there's Christian music. Every religion has music and I think generally people even who aren't religious agree there is a spiritual quality to music that we can't define that seems to be universal. But then it's interesting how society and culture, nationalism, identity, ethnicity, whatever, all creates, it doesn't create division in music, but it brings music out in a different way, I guess, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And that like, we can't even, we're sitting here in America, two white dudes in America, and we can't figure out what a raga even is. But anyways, pass it back. All right. Nice run there. We can't feel. We can't figure out what it is, but we can feel it. I guess is the thing. <laughs> yeah. And then that well, brings up another point of what's the point of even studying it? Like we might not yeah. understand it, but we can kind of feel it. Well, it's like what we talked about on recorded history of music, where you know music is probably evolved alongside language. Doesn't really need language as a modality for thought expression. Yeah. Um, and I think you know you talk about religion. I think music is a way to express religion rather than the reverse. Yeah. All right. We left off with some Pink Floyd, Arnold Lane talking about most improved, um, which got me on to a run down Arnold Lane. Got me to, yeah, it was to my run on Arnold Lane. No, I, I want to talk about another group who, you know, I was doing some research about bands that kind of had these spikes in their careers. And I, I knew this group's, you know, later stuff was, didn't know the story behind it. So there's the band Cool and the Gang, which does that sound familiar to you? I think their big hit was, um, now I'm spacing on it. Then it's one of those names that I know who they are, but yeah, they had I know a big they have hit the jams. In the early 70s, it was a big like funk hit. I know, it's I guess Summer K-O-O-L. Madness. I'm not thinking of Summer Madness. What the heck is their big hit? Get Anyways, down on it. Yes, that's it. Get down on it. That's their big... Or uh, Jungle Boogie. Jungle Boogie. But that's the same song, I think. Oh, wait. Yeah, I was like, Jungle Boogie. Get down. And then their other um, songs, Celebration, so then, Summer so, Madness. So that's what I'm be talking about is they had about five or six years where they just kept putting out albums that were crap until they got paired up with the Brazilian pr- music producer, Amir Diodato, which um, he's great if you listeners haven't checked him out. But he basically helped them revive their career doing a disco sound. So um, that's what I was going to play for us today. This is a classic dance hit for dance floors out there. This is Cool in the Gang. 1979, Tonight's the Night. Yeah. Reviving their career with disco. It's the evening. Tonight's the night. Get to the evening side. We're getting to the evening side of the podcast, too. Yeah. Starting with the kick drum, just like quartet. And from first to last. I think it was a tom. 
but it sounded like a kick. didn't sound like a kick, but it sounded like the four on the floor kick pattern that you'll traditionally hear in certain cultures of music. Not Indian. So fun fact, the producer, um, Diodato, I think I'm saying that right, Diodato, yeah, is his granddaughter is Haley Bieber. Mm. His daughter married uh, Steve Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin. Wow, nepotism strikes again. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I don't know. I just thought this was interesting that, you know, you would have a number one hit, or I guess it was the top 10 hit, 1973, and then you kind of disappear for a while, and then six years later, you kind of re- resurface, find success again. Wait, whose grandson is, or granddaughter is, Haley Bieber? Uh, the producer. So oh, the producer. Because the reason yeah. they kind of got more successful is they teamed up with that producer who helped them kind of develop a disco sound. Is he a white guy? He's actually Brazilian. Oh, so Haley Bieber has Brazilian ancestry. Yeah, I guess so. Can't wait for her Bossa Nova album. <laughs> yeah, her her mom is his daughter. So. Yeah, can you imagine that? Your parents, one Stephen Baldwin, and the other one is. The daughter of yeah. a famous Brazilian music producer. Because when you said that, I was thinking like, wait, I thought Cool and the Gang was all black people, but yeah, it is. They right? are. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, the one of the main guys, Ronald Bell. I think he's pretty famous. But yeah, as you mentioned, Celebration was the big, you know, breakthrough hit. I just think this is a fun, just disco jam that you could play out on the dance floor. I feel like it's a good parallel to to what was popular around the time of morning, evening, quartet. I guess morning, evening, and quartet is later because it's most improved. But I'm thinking of quartet in like his peak era of like 2010 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's like EDM was really starting to be popular and people just danced. So I feel like that was always the thing with Quartet too. Is like, I'm like, wait, I thought electronic music was supposed to be all like happy, get up and dance. And then it ended up being like really overwhelming and like 
he was like a mad scientist. He was definitely a mad scientist. Like, yeah, you're not wrong in feeling that way. He has that crazy ability where he could just like put people in a trance. Yeah. Because I remember being at a show where it just looked like everyone was zombies. Right. Just like locked into the music. Anyway, like he, ton- he has a post rock, like weaving web stuff from first to last. Doesn't he have the post rock? Yeah, origins? I was going to say, your, from my definition of the episode, your quartet pick works pretty well in that. Yeah, he was in a post rock band. Then he did like folk electronic music in his early 2000s. And then he kind of dan- transitioned to the dance stuff in the late 2000s. Because I feel like, yeah, I guess some of his other stuff probably does this, but especially the way morning, evening is. I always called it morning side, evening side, but I think it's just called morning, evening. I think it is structured in like a, I guess, you know, that's my Western perspective. I was like, oh, it's structured kind of like in a post-rock album kind of way or how like the melody, things weave in and out of each other. But it's also derived from Indian music too. It felt a bit like a mix the way you're kind of guided through like peaks and valleys, Mm -hmm. much like cool in the gang's career peaks and valleys <laughs> I know we've talked about it in the old iteration of the podcast of the whole disco demolition disco and you know this is kind of that post disco era by 1979 you've kind of had the whole rebellion against disco and it's slowly morphing into boogie boogie so what's the difference between boogie and all right i'll give you my unfiltered one and then i'll choose the it's internet just, to check I, me but i got a theory first before you go i think boogie boogies has more where synthesizers you're okay. oh go ahead i was gonna say boogies where you're shaking your ass more yeah uh well no i think Part of it is that it's a slightly slower tempo and boogie is like synthesizers and it's a lot more like drum machines and it's just kind of the natural evolution of late 70s, early 80s. Mm. All right. Wiki says post-disco, it's electronic dance music with close ties to the post-disco style that emerged in the late 1970s or mid-1980s. Nice. Give you 1980 points. Wow. Just like Fortet, it bridged acoustic and electronic musical instruments with emphasis on vocals and miscellaneous effects. Wow. We don't plan this. We don't (laughs) plan this. I got to get this thought out if you're passing it back because I got it stored in my head. We left off Lata Manishagar. Not claiming to pronounce things right. She's also known as the Nightingale of India, I think. Hang on, give me a second here. The Nightingale of India. And I was, oh, it sounded too racist to say, but when you were saying we don't even need language, I was going to say on the Bollywood song that it almost is like a a bird singing or something because I don't really understand the lyrics, but I still understand it as like a song, if that makes any sense without sounding too like I'm calling someone a bird or something. Yeah. I mean, that's one of our talking points of why yeah, like do music, animals have music? 
Well, just that in that music potentially evolved before or alongside language because you can understand emotional aspects of a song without right. words, instrumental or another language. And we talked about on the architecture episode how the architecture shapes the sound because birds' uh, tone changes based on the density of the forest. Yeah, that's amazing. So then it's like, you know, where you grow up as a human, you're making different kind of music and there's the social element as well. Anyways, I was going to go from the Nightingale of India to where's the Nightingale? It's in your yard, launching into the yard birds. Nice. And very Beatles esque. Yeah. Obvious connection over to Beatles. Yard birds, super interesting band. Jeff Beck is playing guitar here, but J- Jimmy Page Jimmy is in Page. the video. He's in the video. Nice. He played with him for a little bit. And then. Jeff Beck joined when Eric Clapton left the band. Wow. So this is one of the first examples of Raga Rock. Which Raga Rock kind of originated in India. But then it's been kind of like we've talked about Exotica and like the Western fetishization of Eastern cultures. Yeah. It kind of, like, this is a sitar sound. And then obviously, like, the Beatles use sitar. Yeah. And they would kind of give that term to anything that was influenced by Indian music. Funny story behind this, though, is they actually brought a sitar player in to record it. And then they didn't like the sitar part, so they just recreated it on guitar. Wow. (laughs) Colonizers. That's so good. Check out our Exotica episode. Heart full of soul. So I was going to go from this into what is the quintessential yard bird. It's the rooster. Beatles rooster. I might go on a little run, run, run. But we'll play this out. It's almost over. So yeah, Yardbirds kind of considered, you know, influential in a lot of genres, similar to the Beatles, like you mentioned, they formed in 1963, though, and like, you know, kind of used a lot of different genres, had a lot of people who went on to be notable, like Cool and the Gang in the group. But I'm going to go on a little run, run, run here. I was just thinking of this song because I was wanting to connect to this. We've talked about it on a previous rendition of the podcast. But anytime I think of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, I think of another classic album we've talked about before. I've talked about it incessantly, which is Egon Bondi's Lonely Hearts Egon Bondi's Lonely Hearts Club Band B A N N E D by the Plastic People of the Universe. Plastic People. Oh wait. This is the Beatles, sorry. Love it. 
That's Beatles sitar. We'll get to that. But this is the Plastic People of the Universe covering John Kell and Lou Reed. Fortet has a song called Plastic People. Oh, Weaving Webs. I think it was a famous dance night in London. I guess it was a club. Plastic People was. So this is a Czech band covering the Velvet Underground. Always fascinated by this band's story. Like anyone who visits Prague has probably visited, taken a selfie in front of the John Lennon wall, which is like a historic place where someone drew a mural of John Lennon when uh, there was kind of a Soviet puppet government that took over Czechoslovakia and Western music in this case was banned in what would be considered Eastern Europe, well, Central Europe, whatever. And Plastic People of the Universe was one of the most popular bands of the underground scene. And Velvet Underground was a huge influence on them, as well as Frank Zappa. But there's kind of a cool clash of cultures when they either sing in English lyrics they didn't fully understand, or put Czech lyrics, which some musicians I've talked to and stuff, Czech musicians have told... Who's the second singer? I don't know. great though uh, but some Czech musicians have told me like the Czech language because of some of the kind of harsher sounds isn't really designed to sing in the way English is so if you listen to Egon Bondi's Lonely Hearts Club Band Egon Bondi was the name of a poet who the plastic people of the universe would perform with and he wrote the lyrics and they would just kind of like scream the lyrics or just recite them by talking which I think is a really cool style that's could only come out of like a certain place and time I'm gonna fade this one because it's a shitty recording just had to get my yearly rant about plastic people of the universe for those who haven't listened to that album go check it out just had to go on a little run 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 nice and the Czech, Czech Revolution, Peaceful Revolution, in either 89 or 90, can't remember, minus 90 points. It was called the Velvet Revolution, and people will kind of credit to Velvet Underground because Lou Reed was friends with Plastic People of the Universe. Nice. And Václav Havel, who became the president. All right, pass it back. Just want to quickly note, I guess the Disco Demolition Night was 1979. That's later than I would have thought. But that yeah, was, it was the punk same year. year as the track we listened to. Nice. So that is considered the beginning of the post-disco era. Um, all right. So we were at tonight's The Night, Cool in the Gang. Obviously jumps me to Evening Side. I think the reason you want to call it that is the tracks are called Morning Side, Evening Side, even though the album is called Morning Slash Evening. I don't know. Maybe that was the Bandcamp original. Or maybe I just have that in my head because it's like a two-side album. 
Oh, wait. What am I talking about? I got one more connection. Uh, we got one more connection here. Another person who was in relative obscurity for most of their career. But they were recorded by Alan Lomax, 1979. Same year as Tonight's the Night. And um, we had mentioned this artist on our ride-along episode with special guests and the album Dylan Brady. This is R.L. Burnside. Nice. Blues musician, jumper on the line. Weaving webs. We can close it out with Evening Side if you're down. Yeah, after this, let it ride. I'll play Um, Beatles and then we can just let it ride for 20 minutes. Burnside is also notable that, you know, has his voice aged. His style became more distinct. When he first started out, he sounded a lot like John Lee Hooker, so I think that's part of why he didn't get much playing. But he grew into his own. So this is Alan Lomax recording him at his house. I almost got into Sun House, blues player, Sonny Moore's Sun House. Nice. Also thought it was interesting. His story was he actually left Chicago and went back to Mississippi, hmm. where a lot of you know blues musicians went to Chicago to sort of start their career. Right. I was also in preparing for this. I was listening to some John Fahey. I was listening to a lot of like inventive guitar stuff. So we're on the same page. What does he? Uh, John Fahey calls his style primal guitar or something like that. Primitive. Primitive and he does guitar. some like psychedelic stuff, like train noises, and he has a song called "The Raga of Pat." Nice. But I feel like even like something like this. I just love blues music because. Simple, but filled with so much soul and just natural. It's almost like you can't teach it. But yeah, this Burnside guy is fascinating. Uh, Part of why he left Chicago is his dad and his brother were murdered. But... uh, Later on, when he's in Mississippi, he gets arrested for murder. Um, but his boss arranged to have him released six months later so he could drive the tractor for the harvest season. Burnside said, I didn't mean to kill nobody. I just meant to shoot the son of a bitch in the head and two times in the chest. <laughs> him dying was between him and the Lord. It's amazing. True outlaw, you know type character now is this this is rl bernstein burnside (laughs) this is rl grime bernstein bear hear the babies in the background psychedelic oh so this is what you were referencing on the last episode with the babies in the background yeah nice weaving webs across episodes i love it 
It's the RLs episode. <laughs> Raga. Red Lion. Anyways, for you aspiring musicians out there, it's never too late. You may be still working on your craft and you haven't hit your peak. You can be most improved. I think it's a te- four Ted's a testament. Just keep going. Even the Beatles, like you're saying, like the Beatles started out, they sucked. And then they made. All right. I'm going to launch into our last song here. I can't hear Lou Reed. So this is closing it out here with Portet. Eat me.
Thank you.